Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. Uh, Phil here, and we got the whole crew. Santiago is here. How are you doing, Santiago? Doing great, Phil. A little cold, but uh, great to be out here after watching some soccer, and now we're here doing the podcast. Yeah, there's going to be some delays. We're handing mics off tonight because I need to <clears throat> buy some, replace some broken equipment. But we also have Matt Baker here. How's it going, Matt? Pretty good, Phil. Uh, happy to be back at Soccer Park. A little nippy, but it's always nice to come out and watch some live soccer. The nippy part is kind of part of soccer, too, so that's nice. Stuart's here. How's it going, Stuart? Um, yeah, everyone else is smart enough to wear jeans, but I'm wearing uh, shorts today. <laughs> so <laughs> You're full. It's like the junior high jacket with shorts thing. Yeah, I think no, junior I, high when I do that. I uh, wanted to feel youthful tonight, I guess. <laughs> I like it a lot. So we were here watching a scrimmage between what will be the U23s for St. Louis Scott Gallagher versus the U19 Academy and, you know, whatever mix of players uh, were involved in that. Um, it was fun. We were out here watching a game live, got to chat around with everybody. It felt like game night a little bit. Or maybe it felt like preseason, didn't it? Kind of like a preseason game. Preseason, a little bit back to normal. Yeah. What would you think of the night, Santiago? Yeah, no, uh, there were a few people around. But, yeah, that feeling of preseason and the uh, U23s had – train a few times but uh, they look really good uh, they score really early and uh, even the U19s they kind of settled down after the first two goals um, they didn't create much on offense but uh, they look good too yeah Matt you wanted to see a goal from the other side and they got it eventually I, they, they finally <laughs> pulled it off <laughs> uh, so that was nice to see any other thoughts about U23 there's a lot more to say but Stuart you got anything uh, I mean, I'm really excited to see what we're going to get. I mean, this is going to be a really high-quality team, and um, I'm sure the roster information is going to come out in the next, well, four or five, six days, and uh, it's it's really exciting. I mean, it'll be a fun, uh, fun eight weeks of many, many games, so looking forward to it. Yeah tight games I, we're the first two are going to be two days apart from each other which is crazy 18th and 19th which i think we are going to record uh, we're going to come watch the game and record one of those if we can pull it off so we're going to try um but there's rumors right uh, matt you want to kind of tell everybody what the rumors are <laughs> in some form or fashion about oh. what players might be playing well i mean it's not so knowing what usl league two is i mean it's it's semi-pro amateur it's it's basically the league for if you haven't given up your collegiate eligibility or your amateur status um it affords an opportunity to come and it's kind of like showcase league you know they tout themselves as this path to mls you know mls super draft has a whole lot of um, alumni from usl league too and uh, it's one of those things where scott gallagher kind of lends itself really well to this league just because they they produce a ton of talent that goes to a ton of different colleges so it's probably no stretch of the imagination to say that if you have a Gallagher alum who maybe plays for a college in the Midwest, college <laughs> in the East Coast, it's a likely chance that you're going to see them this summer in this eight-week span. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we saw Jansen Miller playing tonight. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there are lots of colleges in the Midwest, as you said, like, say, Indiana or Notre Dame, if we're lucky. Or uh, obviously, SLU is in town. It'll be really cool to see. Lots of St. Louis players around. Any other thoughts, Santiago? Yeah, no, really excited about uh, seeing some of the guys who have been away to college. And to echo on Matt's comments, uh, some former uh, St. Louis FC players play in USL too. Uh, and Stuart probably has a longer list, but uh, the ones that come to mind, uh, Rosa Cicerone played in, US, in USL too. Joaquin Rivas played one season in USL too. I think Sean Reynolds too. Any others, Stuart? Uh, I'm trying to remember if uh, Sam Fink did between Wake Forest, but uh, Vince Cicerelli played. Um, yeah. Or he, Phil, you said he, yeah, he played for Des Moines. Yeah. Um, Bonner, Boehner played. There were a few that played. Audie Jepson played for Des Moines. He also played for the Lions. Um, yeah, there, there's a ton of talent and, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a real big one, Josh Sargent, I'm wearing my, uh, 
2017 U17 <laughs> World Cup Josh Sargent <laughs> kit tonight. Uh, he uh, he played a handful of games for the uh, St. Louis FC U23s, which is kind of the precursor team to this uh, a few years back. So, and that team also had guys like Shane Strunk. Um, I think maybe Seth Stevel was on that one, or um, uh, SIUE's keeper for a couple for four years. He was on that team. Uh, David Vio. I don't know. They're they're fun games to watch. Yeah, I wish I had gone out to those. Stuart, you were there. You were talking to someone. Was it Derek about going to those games and not having any pictures? It would have been a really cool one to to be able to remember. Derek had an even better jersey than what you have right now. Yeah, Derek has a a Josh Sargent um, St. Louis FC U23 <laughs> match worn jersey. So that's blows my mind. Pretty awesome. That's as hipster as it gets around here, I think. Um, cool. Any other thoughts about U23? It's gonna be fun to watch the guys play. I am so freaking excited about the roster. I, I was excited because I guess. So, you know, we talked about Cicerelli earlier because I found out that Notre Dame wouldn't let him play certain games, and he did get permission to go play for the Des Moines Menace for a couple games, but they were really strict about it. So I wasn't – I just assumed most of those college players wouldn't come out. Um, But, Stuart, like you said, this team was built – and you you said as as well, Santiago, that this team was built for St. Louis uh, University players that um, don't want to mess up their eligibility. So – course they're coming it makes sense where else would they go well and one of the other interesting things we found out tonight that i i didn't realize i always thought of this as just that kind of opportunity for college kids to come back and play and you get you know from the the system to come up but we saw some some guys out on the field tonight who are from different states different mm. countries who have no association to scott gallagher and they're they're trialists I just I had never really considered that usl league two would have trialists but it makes sense i mean if if they're if they're wanting an opportunity, this is a perfect opportunity where you don't have to give up your amateur status and you get scouted and, you know, you show yourself here and who knows what the opportunities may present. Yeah. And it happens with the Academy too. There's guys coming in from out of town. And I do think, I think that's something we'll talk to Lutz about at some point or someone with the, with the city is um, you can't just rely on homegrowns. You got to start recruiting out of state too. So that's something I look forward to asking in in, in the future. Um, but yeah, let's talk about city. Um, a lot has happened since the last time we, we got together, obviously. And, um, let's just, let's start with, I'm going to start at the bottom here and work our way up. Let's start with the, the light stuff and we'll get heavier and heavier as we go nerdier and nerdier as we go. Um, the Purina Jersey sponsor, that's about as light as it gets, but my God, what a home run. Uh, Matt, why don't it, you lead us off? Yeah. It doesn't get more fun than that, I think. You know, we, we all can't help but laugh and smile when we hear that. I mean, it's going to look great on the on the front of the kit. Um, an iconic St. Louis company. Um, it, you just think of just fun times with Purina. Uh, and the way that they did the reveal was, I don't I don't know if any MLS team or any soccer team in the country could top a, a brand reveal or some kind of sponsor like that. I mean, they had the the Mutt Cuts van from Dumb and Dumber, for crying out loud. I, I, who would have thought of that? That's such a, a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, I, whoever, I mean, Carolyn Kindle Betts had to have approved that. And that is just such a top-notch thing to be able to do, drive that van around for days in the St. Louis area and just go to different uh, shelters, different rescue, rescue centers, and, and go to different parks. They were downtown. I mean, the community ate that stuff up. Um, handing out swag bags. I think just about everybody in town probably has one of those Purina scarves at this point. Um, and then it, it obviously introduced the, the checkerboard notion to the club. Mm-hmm. So they didn't hide it with the scarves. They've got that kind of nice little checkerboard overlay on there. And that's kind of really where the, the checkerboard concept started to pick up on, on what the team is really going to do with that. But it all started with Purina. I think it's a perfect partnership. It's the, the, I mean, and they made a splash too on the kit sponsor, right? I don't think a lot of us expected the kit sponsor to be the first thing that they come out with because we're still two years out and now we know exactly what the front of our kit's going to look like. We have all this time to look forward to that as they develop what the kit is actually going to look like. Are we going to see a checkerboard kit? We better. (laughs) But what kind of checkerboard kit? Is it going to be a full-on Croatia? (laughs) The, The scarf had some kind of a little, like, 
you start with one color and you ramp to the other color with the checkerboard. I mean, the options are pretty limitless. I've seen some concepts that look anywhere from um, cringeworthy to really slick. Some of those concepts concepts look great. Uh, like even like uh, people who um, don't do this for a living, like uh, very professional looking designs. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully um, the team will take some feedback uh, from different designers, different people, and come up with something great. Yeah, the one one thing I really, really hope that um, <coughs> the kit matches is the City Red with Purina Red. I hope that Purina matches the City Red. And I think, uh, I'm trying to think of who has changed their corporate colors before for their MLS kits. Um, well, of course target on the front of the loons kit changed to white and gray yeah but uh youtube did youtube change theirs to white for lafc yeah so i hopefully purina is willing to because it it would just be so perfect if they if they match the color right and it would just be that slightest bit off if they kept like the Purina red on top of the, you know. Uh. Yeah, I think it's common. I'm glad you mentioned all those other brands because I think it's super common just to do that, to adopt the color. In fact, like when MLS um, upgraded their brand this last time, like I th one of the main reasons they changed it was because you could change the color to anything. And so I think that's typical. And Purina is no, um, you know, it's the same with them because it's just like the checkerboard and the word Purina and you can put that in any color and still recognize it across the, the world, you know, even so, um, yeah, I, that's a good shout though. I didn't even think about the, the colors rubbing the wrong way. Uh, the only other thing I want to say about Purina though is, um, another woman CEO. I didn't even know it <laughs> until, you know, they announced it as part of it. Um, you know, the long thread of things to announce that day. So cool. Right. Um, it's just like the perfect match in so many different ways. I'm excited to see adoptions at games, pet adoptions at games. They're saying they're going to do this just like, you know, the opportunities are limitless and it's going to be exciting and fun. So I mean, they're going to make the, they're going to make the stadium, this walkable area, this green space. I mean, what is, what sounds better than just having pets walking all around there, just having it be that family friendly environment. Pet adoptions is such a unique thing to have as kind of like a regular cornerstone thing that you could do inside of the stadium on that mm -hmm. East Plaza. It's, it's a really fun thing to incorporate. Uh, another thing they did right for sure uh, let's talk about the stadium canvas announcement and the reveal um, we got to see a lot of stuff on the inside of what the stadium is going to look like and and the uh, the spaces around the stadium on the campus um, but also uh, they bought a brick and mortar building uh, that looks very st louis that is going to house all of the administration for the team so that means the training fields the stadium the administration is all on one campus. It's all St. Louis City, not county, not Illinois, you know. Um, so, Sporting Kansas City, you can suck on that one. Um, Stuart, why don't you uh, kind of give your thoughts? It's uh, Missouri's first MLS team since 2013, I guess. It'll be 10 years without MLS in Missouri. In 2011, yeah, that's – 2013 was the uh, MLS Cup that they won. Um but no, the the campus is just going to be extraordinary. I did a uh, like a walk around with my dog um, a few weeks ago and around the whole campus, down even to the where the headquarters is going to be, which is currently where Upper Limits is. If anyone's familiar with that, and um, it it'll definitely need a lot of work before they move in, but it's just such a perfect location and if you want to talk about making something st louis and turning it new i mean it's 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 a brick building st louis brick and it's an old building it it's just it matches with everything i want from the club aesthetically at least in kind of a small way but important one world-class campus uh, at least what what we saw um 
I love it. I love uh, like thinking about the locker room, uh, that like circular concept, uh, very unique, uh, something that um, very unique to um, MLS clubs. Um, also, uh, I also like the fact that um, the way they have it for the academy teams, like uh, they get to interact with a professional team. And uh, as you get closer in age, you are closer to uh, where the professional team trains. Um, so I really like that too. But I think the club is doing great things, uh, going in the right direction. And the final product um, is going to be a, a world-class club. And uh, we're going to get more into this uh, with what um, you talk about with Lutz. Uh, but it looks like he has great things going on. And uh, this club is going to be way different than other MLS clubs. I think my favorite thing about the the campus reveal and all those uh, images and, and interviews that they did was just how much things changed from last year. So if you remember some of the, the renderings from last year, they really had the uh, Academy Training Center on like right off market, kind of the north part of the, the Academy side, uh, north part of the practice fields. And come to find out that after they hired Lutz and he started, he actually had a ton of input on not just where the building was, but the entire flow of the campus. Um, he right down to the washing rooms, the washing machine. Yeah. I mean, he had a very specific thought and design and, and plan for where the washing machines need to go to fit with the flow of the locker rooms and what the academy clubs and, and kids are going to be doing day in and day out and how the flow would work. So just the fact that he had such um, an, an input and such a fingerprint on the entire what it's what the final product is going to be because you know that it's not just architects from from other states. It's not just HOK or Snow Krellick that's going to be doing this. And I, I don't doubt that they had a good idea leading into it, but it is incredibly reassuring to know that we have kind of this world-class sporting mind that's designing a lot of the flow that we're going to have, um, not just now, but in the future. Because this is kind of setting the, the foundation for everything. Mm -hmm. And to have a sporting mind of the caliber of Lutz do that is, I mean, it's, you can't put a price on that. That's, that's invaluable. Yeah, there's so many things about Lutz where I'm just so grateful. Like, I don't know how long he's going to stay. The guy doesn't stay put very long, and I don't even care, to be honest with you, because I'm just glad he's here at the beginning because it's so important for him, us to get this right from the start, really set the tone, and he is, in my eyes, I'm a big fan of German soccer, and he's just doing everything, you know, like right, in my opinion. So um, I think we should all go around. There were so many cool things that I think we can all think of something. So start thinking now about what your favorite uh, thing that you'd like to bring up about the campus in general. Um, but I think my favorite thing, sorry if I'm stealing it from all of you, is the uh, oval shape uh, locker room. Um, you know, it's a small thing, but to have a round table in the middle where everybody feels equal and everybody has a say is a cool thing. And, you know, we got a little Pep Guardiola shout <laughs> in the uh, presser uh, because that's something that Man City does. Um, but, you know, it's, re it's really cool. Uh, architecturally structurally it's a lot of wasted space and it's kind of silly you know i'm in construction so like yeah it's kind of silly but it's worth it you know it's one of those really cool things that's gonna hopefully change the way people approach uh their work day every single day in, in the community of uh that soccer club um, which seems to be the aim in a lot of different uh different ways um Stuart, do you have one in mind uh yeah one thing that i really like about the stadium is uh, that the loading docks are not on the exterior of the stadium, but they're underneath the stadium. So uh, where market is now, there's a tunnel underneath that is where the loading docks will be. So that means that you have on game day, you have, you know, a complete access around the whole campus of the stadium that you don't have in a place, you know, like Bush Stadium where loading docks are going to be off limits for good reason. So something like that. And, um, I have always hated the way that market is laid out on that stretch. It just cuts off downtown and downtown West. So even if I wasn't a, you know, a soccer guy in the slightest, just building the stadium there and it, changing that stretch of market and getting rid of that bridge 
would make me extremely happy. So I think just St. Louis residents or, you know, joggers um, on that stretch will be very, very happy with uh, how markets changed in the last year. I love the fact that everything is there, uh, the training grounds, the offices, uh, and everything is connected. And uh, another thing uh, that caught my attention is when they were talking about the training fields, obviously you have natural grass, uh, but there will also be some um, artificial turf uh, for whenever the teams uh, get to go to those stadiums where, where you have that setting. So they're paying attention to every detail, and I really love that. Oh, what hasn't been said? Uh, I'll go with the fan perspective of it. So the, it, it came out with the new rendering. Um, there's that pavilion that's right next to Market Street now. That's I think what they said is it's going to have the fan shop um, and kind of provide this gathering type area open more than just game days but it's kind of another building where you can do something fans can congregate it's another um kind of point of gathering excitement um i'm sure there's going they're going to do something where it's activated in certain different ways for game days for non-game days but because lutes kind of had that input and allowed the or he had the training facility moved to the southwest side that opened up that area of market and i'm glad to see them putting something to use there um, across the street from the stadium. It kind of just adds more to the area. Yeah, definitely. A lot of really awesome thought went into the entire plan. The the release, the, the press release that we got to watch of them explaining everything, it was just a lot of fun to see how they all cooperated and all the reasons they did a lot of the things they did, and it was cool. Um, another well-done thing for City. Uh, let's get this one out of the way. Something they messed up is... Um, and then there's story behind it. Maybe we can get into that. Maybe not. I don't know how we feel about it. But there was a PR debacle, just a small one in that, um, you know, it's been really important to City to uh, be able to incorporate the entire St. Louis region into this uh, club. Lots of diversity is something that we would like to uh, bring into the club. Um, they would like to bring into the club and um, the first closed tryout there were pictures and of course it's just like looks like you know middle class white kids <laughs> or higher um, which if you've been watching St. Louis soccer for years as we all have no surprise right this is the norm this is exactly what you expect so um, you know a lot of outcry on Twitter from the usual suspects and um, I threw a little defense out there but to be fair it looked bad. It is bad, but that's not the end of the story, right, Matt? Well, the, the idea of that was, you know, you have a closed tryout first. Um, you want to see the the op, see the the folks who have been a part of the club system in St. Louis. Uh, that's where your skill set's going to come from. I think the coaching staff for City acknowledged that as as much. Uh, before you get into the open tryouts, and, and it's it's an order of operations thing. You start with the talent that you know is there, and then you provide opportunities for everybody else. And all happened in a very, in the grand scheme of things, a very quick manner. So you have the closed tryouts, and then maybe a month or so later, you shift it into the open ones. The interesting thing that I saw um, was that we had the closed tryouts. You had the the images that showed. You had the the, the feedback. Um, it was a really interesting conversation after that but then a, a good week or two later the the post dispatch actually had an article that came out and i think it was tom timmerman who who put this out where he he was there he talked to some of the coaches for city um charlie rankin elver lutz and they all were very honest about what they were working with you know they're they're setting up this new academy structure that they want to be inclusive but it has to draw from something so there has to be you know, they, they're scouting talent. They, they want to bring in the best of the area. Well, the best of the area has been the pay-to-play model. And so that's who you start with. And there was very open, honest uh, comments in that article about what they're, what they're starting with and where they want to go. And so it really, it really gave some context to starting with the, the closed tryout and then, or the closed trial and then going into the open trials. Um, I think we understand a little bit that that article may have been intended to be published beforehand. Um, maybe it was a timing issue. Maybe that would have impacted perceptions. I don't know. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, some, be, some view it as more of a hiccup. Some view it as more of a lack of awareness. 
I think they were very open from what I understand from the academy town halls, even as back far as December for what their plan was, what they had to work with, what they started with and where they're wanting to go. So I don't think I don't I didn't see it as too much more than that. Um, definitely. I saw it as more of a, an honest, transparent thing that they had already said they were going to do, and this was part of the plan. Any other thoughts, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know exactly what the teams are, but, I mean, they were training at the Lou Fuse campus, so I assume they were Lou Fuse teams or affiliated teams. Um, and that's just an honest breakdown when you look at those teams of what – the system they're trying to break out of in St. Louis is like it's going to be it's an expensive sport to play here I mean it's a simple sport and it should be basically costing you nothing but it's not and uh, I think the approach of city won't be judged on their first first year first two years three years it's going to take seven, eight, nine years to kind of overcome the entrenched systems and kind of open it up and cast a wider net. So, yeah, I mean, it might not have looked the best, but, I mean, I I, I think given the staff that they have on hand, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's it, it didn't bother me too much, to be honest. I was also freezing my butt off in the middle of uh herman missouri at the time it was like five degrees over valentine's weekend so and uh i went to a cabin in herman missouri that was not insulated and it turned out to be one of the coldest weeks of uh or weekends of the year so uh yeah it was cold enough that the nails on the wood floors were frozen over so uh it was not a pleasant weekend. Now's a nicer time to go to Herman. Enjoy Herman, <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> not in February. Yeah, but definitely it is a process and we have to be patient. It's going to take a few years to uh, break that uh, pay-to-play model. But yeah, initially when I saw the pictures, I was like, oh, this is really bad. But but yeah, after seeing uh, other people talking about it, it made sense. Um, that's the current structure and the club is um, looking forward to uh, making it different. I'll, I'll tell you, the, I'm only going to say this once that I can imagine where I'll give Charlotte props. Oh, oh, what? I, hey. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's only because I saw it today. I think they, I think they released something about this today or yesterday, but it, it speaks directly to this point of the academy and, and inclusivity and diversity. They had a, somewhat of like a demographic breakdown of their academy right now and so they've had their academy up and running for about a year or so and i think the percentages was i want to say 60 something percent uh, minorities like asians hispanics african-americans um 37 percent white i think so i mean that's the kind of model i think that city is trying to get to so i have no idea what the demographic breakdown is in charlotte absolutely ignorant to all of that but i see how they're structuring their academy it it is a, a free of play model like mls is going to for all their academies so i see that as literally the only positive that i could say about it and i if it was any other club i would be even more excited um we know all the missteps charlotte's had but i just had to give them props because i saw that stat today i'm all for giving uh going against the grain of twitter and that's really good stuff matt i'm glad you saw that and mentioned it for real um that's a i mean that's something to aspire to for sure i mean let's not go out of our way but like it needs help it needs a lot of help i guess do go out of our way a little but it should bit, be an know? organic thing too I, it can't be you know i want it to be but like 67 percent is that what you said that is Something like 60. That Some, is, something in 60s, yeah. That's a lot like, God bless St. Louis, but I don't – it'd be really hard, right? And I, I think that's my thoughts on that is that, like, the reason it's been a strong thing for them to say this needs to be a regional club that needs to be, like, all-inclusive, this is stuff they've been saying since day one, is because we all knew this was a massive challenge in this city, right? Especially St. Louis. It's such a mess here. And 
I did, and I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll catch on like wildfire. It happened in, in Atlanta, but I'm just imagining soccer catching on in North City and really taking off is like my God, that is such a challenge. Um, what La Liga, the amateur league, has been in North City for years, you know, a long time. Um, it's not made a, a dent up there, but I don't know. It's a, it's a big problem and it's something that they know is going to take, you know, speaking to Lutz, he said five years, 10 years, more than that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, if it was, a, I'm with Stuart in that <laughs> if it was a PR misstep, it's going to be such a small thing in the long run. And, um, it's something we can hopefully look forward to changing. Um, I'm just so proud of that club for coming out and saying the right things, you know, like they didn't, they didn't go with what was easy. They didn't go with what was normal for this region. They're definitely going against the grain and trying something that is very difficult. And, um, you know, I'm going to give them a lot of leeway in that way, uh, for sure. Any other thoughts before we move on? Any disagreements? I said a lot of crazy stuff there. Sorry. No. Okay, guys. I just, I just think it, it, it goes to the, p- the point of why we have loots. So yeah. don't, don't forget that the only reason we have loots is because of the opportunity to create something from the ground up. If we, if we had started with where we're at here, um, with, with the Gallagher interactions, if we had started with that, loots would have never signed on. And it, I don't know if it would have been better or worse. It just would have been different. Um, loots is here because he has the opportunity to create something from the ground up, started from nothing it's what he says in all his interviews that it was the perfect opportunity that he could not pass up mm-hmm. and it's why he passed up other opportunities at Inter, Newcastle, West Ham, Schalke, all those places. Yeah it, and if you talk to the staff you know I got to finally meet all the communications and PR staff for uh, City at that uh, open tryout that I got to go to. I went to the third open tryout talk to everybody and these guys are so on board with all this stuff you know like that's like normal to them to want to push the uh the boundary on that one and talking to Lutz I think I think my favorite thing about that was it's just so natural to him he's not even thinking of race it's such a problem here but he's not thinking of race he's thinking this is a sport this is something that will get kids outside and enjoying themselves and I don't know how many times he said this isn't about competition. This isn't about us winning. Of course we want to win. But when we're talking about U13 and under, which is going to be the satellite locations, which we're about to get into pretty hard, he's like, this is, we need to get kids outside. They need to be active. They need to learn skills. They need to learn how to be good human beings outside of sport itself so that they can go on to be good human beings and as grown adults. And it's really cool to hear him talk about that because um, a lot of what he is, it's like next level. It's just like all encompassing human things that he wants to, uh, help out in the St. Louis region. And, you know, race just happens to be one of the things we're bad at, and it's going to be part of that whole structure. And so, um, you know, that's the way I'll defend them is that, is that their vision is next level in my opinion. Um, thanks to an outside source in my, in my opinion as well. Um, but also the ownership too, because it is something that's really important to them as well. I'm going to stop talking for a while. Matt, what do you think? Open tryouts. We can talk about open tryouts too. Oh yeah. So they, we've gotten three open tryouts out of the way. Um, they, they announced three to start with. And then I, I guess it was this past week. I know they've responded on social media and especially on Instagram, man, their Instagram gets hit up hard for, for tryouts. That is, that is it's admirable, but it is an interesting comment section on their Instagram page. Um, but they're doing a fourth open tryout that they announced. Uh, it's this Sunday. So four opportunities to come and they've had it all around the area. So it, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what the next steps are to see what, what ends up happening from this and kind of if there's going to be any kind of, you know, uh, announced team this summer, cause we know they're starting play in the fall. So, you know, when is that going to start getting put together? And uh, when we see the team in the fall, everyone should keep in mind that the kits that they're wearing will not be the kits that the team is wearing in 2023. <laughs> Just yeah. get that out of the way now. Good call. Good call that. But um, something that something that Lutz did say is that um, he thinks he'll be able to announce a team. Well, sorry. End of July, he wants to have the team like picked. And then August, September is when they're going to start training. So, you know, hopefully, I mean, 
I got a spreadsheet I'm about to hopefully finish an article I've been working on for a couple of weeks on the, the best St. Louis native players. And I want to get that out well before he announces because these kids are going to climb the ranks, right? Hopefully that's, that's the goal at least. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to those announcements. Phil, so you were at one at that tryout uh, and you had a chance to uh, talk to Lutz. Um, did you ask him about the talent on the field at all? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> he actually <laughs> he actually referred a lot to the close tryouts. <laughs> I think he already has a roster in mind. Like um, you know, you talk to the PR guys and you talk to the guys that follow him around. Vin has even said this kind of stuff. Um, who's more on the sporting side now, actually, which is really cool. Um, that like Lutz will just be like, oh yeah, look at him. And he won't be like, oh, look how he kicks the ball. Look how he does that. He'll be like, look at his off ball move. Look when he does when the ball's on the other side of the field. And, and of course, they're going to say that. Of course, Lutz is that much better next level than all of us. He was a scout for Hoffenheim, for God's sake. So, um, But that was the cool thing to hear is that, you know, I think Lutz is already like he's mostly set his, his rosters in his head probably or at least the top 40 or so of each team and um you know hopefully we'll get some open tryout guys too because that makes it more interesting um it'd be really cool to see i mean i i will say that i saw he didn't talk about the guys there i didn't talk to him about that but um it was cool to see like this like wide just like shorter wide latino kid that was just like you couldn't body him off of anything the guy had vision like you would not believe and he was a, he was able to put a touch on a long pass on the ground not in the air um through balls it was really impressive what this kid was able to do and if he's just never played with an academy team and he gets a chance like how much better can he get and so those are the those are the uh you know the fairy tale stories that i hope we start seeing in the near future and we need it right thanks for asking Yeah, it'd be great to find one or two of those fairy tale stories. Yeah. Uh, somebody who wasn't part of um, any of the pay-to-play teams and make it to the academy and and get a chance to uh, to grow and make it make it through the ranks. Absolutely. Um, let's finish up. Unless anybody has any other uh, things, we'll we'll open it up at the end. But. Um, Let's finish up with the satellite locations. Um, when I heard about, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. <laughs> the satellite locations, when I heard about them, um, it was interesting to think about how we're going to rely on these locations outside of St. Louis City SC's um, actual stuff that they're paying for, right? The non-pay-to-play academies. They're going to be at the U13 age and under they're going to be relying on these satellite locations to be coaching up kids that are good enough to hopefully by the time they hit U14, um, we have this large pool throughout the very extended St. Louis region to draw players into the academy in the city. And um, I think it's a great system. It's a system that's worked for him at Hoffenheim, and I think he implemented it at Dusseldorf. Um, it's successful there. But over there, there's solidarity payments where those kids, if they move up to the next level and they get sold on for millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, even tens of thousands of dollars, a percentage of that cash goes to these satellite location academies, right? Um, and so I asked him about that and I said, it seems like it might not work here because why would these people give up these kids to you instead of you know them trying to shop them themselves? There's, no, there's less motivation, I guess, because money is the ultimate... Uh, motivator in in most cases in our country um so he mentioned basically that mls has or no sorry stewart mentioned that mls has implemented it within their own system but that u.s soccer he mentioned lutz mentioned that u.s soccer is working on that and so um what happens until you know that becomes active any thoughts from everybody else Well, it and if I recall correctly, it's the it's the purchasing club whose responsibility it is to dole out the solidarity payments, but it's up to the federation to kind of enforce that. So that's where U.S. soccer kind of comes into play, where if they're not enforcing solidarity payments to um, 
really anybody. They're not they're not forcing it that anybody in the U.S. be paid or or mandating that. It, it was MLS that is kind of looking out for their own interests and said, if you know, for all MLS clubs, as you as you sell on or, or you need to make sure that you get solidarity payments and you have that structure worked out. And so that's why we're seeing MLS clubs like Philadelphia, especially who are just having um, massive luck or massive success selling on players and creating that pipeline to Europe, um, which is no, I, I forget who Philadelphia sporting director is, but he's, he's, he's right in the same um, model of Lutz. He's, he's got the, the, the German connection. Um, so it's no, no surprise that that's occurring for, for them, for MLS clubs. Um, I think the structure that Lutz is putting in right now is kind of, it's setting the groundwork really well for if and when U.S. soccer finally does what they should and, you know, helps the helps these smaller clubs, these independent clubs, and just makes it a more um, structured, cohesive solidarity payment setting. Um, what Lutz is putting in now with working with all of the other clubs, working with the systems outside of City on that U13 and below level sets the stage so that if that ever comes to fruition, then that will be easily, you know, easily tracked. They're, they'll have a structure in place that all of these other clubs who maybe they end at the U17 or so stage, they have that setting. So City becomes a pipeline. Right now, it's it's really difficult because, it, like you said, Phil, it's, you've got that fine line of why would you work with the club to then transfer somebody out after U13 if they're quality when they could easily stay here and continue developing here, meaning where we are right now, Gallagher, yeah. they could continue developing in a, a proven system like that. So how does, how is all that going to kind of align and work together knowing that the solidarity structure is not there? Did he say if he has received any feedback from other clubs no. about this? No. <laughs> well, but I will say that I think what he is going to offer is education, right? So he mentioned one thing that he was very strong that he said is he heard a lot of things out at different trials and different um, practices that he would go just visit and watch people. He heard a lot of things he didn't like education-wise, like just soccer basics. I think he wants to educate the coaches and maybe send some coaching out to help these people get the basics right so that by the time they reach him, you know, they're a little bit more well-rounded. And so there is that. There is that benefit. Um, but isn't enough. I don't know. What do you think, Stuart? Well, I, I would expect City will be doing uh, coaching uh, courses for um, all of their satellite clubs. They'll be doing, you know, various licensing stuff. They'll be doing, um, I mean, more or less all of your standard outreach uh, type stuff because any, you know, a, a penny of money into the academy and training could yield you, you know, a dollar down the road. So it's a wise investment for city to make that choice. Um, when it gets to, to go back to the solidarity payments though, um, it's, uh, I kind of believe it when I'll see it. Uh, it's, it's a touchy subject in the U S Daryl DK, is uh, going to be sold maybe even by the time that this podcast goes live. Um, and it's a question of who gets the money. And <clears throat> part of... They they might, but... Yeah, he's from Edmond, Oklahoma, and he played for the Energy U23s, four games for them um, in 2018, I guess. 25 grand. Yeah. So, but that might be up to Orlando City might be the ones to, so the payment will be given to Orlando City and then it's up to them basically whether or not they want to transfer it on. Um, because that was the issue with, if I recall correctly, Seattle Sounders and um, Yedlin when Spurs bought him. Uh, Spurs sent over money and they had payments earmarked to go to Crossfire and the Sounders and MLS just never passed them on. So uh, how much of that will be just kind of MLS policy going forward and how much of that will be U.S. soccer determined in stone policy? 
I, how much of this is going to be precedent and just goodwill outreach? Because if that's the way the winds are going and you're on a MLS team, you want to build those bridges. $25,000 is nothing. I mean, it's nothing out of, yeah, it's, you know, if, if DK goes for 20 million, 25,000 is nothing. So, and you already see USL clubs like uh, Orange County that are obviously pivoting toward a big selling point for them is those solidarity payments for, uh, you know, KO and uh, Cervantes and some of their other players that want to get out who are from MLS academies but want to get out of MLS academies so they can go to Europe faster. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to see like the Alfonso Davies thing and Chris Richards thing and uh, Justin Shea is about to be bought um, and they volunteered Bayern volunteered money to the academy of Alfonso Davies and so that's awesome you know again the Germans get a lot of that goodwill stuff right um, a lot of it they don't but some of it they do and um, so it'll be interesting to watch that I feel like the Chris Richards thing like if you trace the cash to like he's from Birmingham originally and so I'm not sure any of that trickled down to Birmingham so like you said a lot of it's goodwill at this point and I think it's important that we have conversations where as American soccer fans at some point we're gonna have to put our foot feet down and and say that we demand this this is necessary for our growth and hopefully U.S. soccer is smart enough to get there before we start throwing fits the the real weird thing is i mean the the way that mls is is requiring this for their clubs is out of step with the way u.s soccer has treated this so far which surprises me because a lot of the time u.s soccer has mls's best interests at heart there's a lot of intertwining going on there so to see them out of step on that is kind of odd um and then if mls decide mls clubs decide to provide payment or, or pass down to Oklahoma City, for instance, um, out of the goodness of their hearts, it, it would be a little odd for an MLS club out of the goodness of their hearts to send on money first, to send on money first of all, but yeah. to be kind of taking that upon themselves to do it where they're not required by U.S. soccer, U.S. soccer is basically absolving themselves from the situation right now. It just seems weird. Like this should be a federation decision. Yeah. They should be taking the lead, right? Yeah, I, and it and it goes. I mean, there's a we could go really deep into the rabbit hole about you know MLS and how much power they have over U.S. soccer with U.S. soccer and um, just the whole structure of that. But it's just it it's still interesting to watch it develop on you know if if the DK money gets passed down to Oklahoma City be, and and then Orlando City doesn't have to, that's kind of precedent setting at that point. Like the Sounders move could also be seen as precedent setting like we don't have to do this so we're not going to you know we're we're a close system we're going to watch out for our best interests but then when your best interests start to become working with those other clubs in the areas and developing those relationships dovetailing it back to what city's doing you know there's a lot of things that are kind of seem to be shifting in the landscape here hopefully orlando will set up a will set a good precedent and send some money to oklahoma um that definitely needs to change and uh, I think Lutz is doing the right thing uh, partnering with other clubs in the area and if Orlando doesn't do it hopefully down the road uh, St. Louis will do it yeah. it'd be interesting interesting to see that if the, the rules aren't there if St. Louis would volunteer that kind of thing like Santiago just suggested Orlando perhaps do um, yeah it, it'd be just so interesting to kind of feel so to put man i hate to do this but i'm gonna do it <laughs> it it's really difficult to say that you're gonna have a, a pay-to-play a no pay-to-play model and to say that you know you want the best for your kids um and to not at the same time want to send the money down to these smaller clubs or satellite locations and, and give them some money so yeah, it, it's we'll walking the walk in a sense because yeah. you're saying for yourself like we Thank have you. the ability MLS clubs and MLS in general we have the ability to provide a free to play system because you know our, our structures and we have we receive the income that allows us to do this so we're developing players and it's almost the the goodwill that they're trying to generate from that by saying that you know we don't want there to be pay to play systems we're we're taking a stand on this. 
but if you really don't want there to be pay to play systems, you have to understand why everybody else is doing it. And if you have the ability to help them get away from that, mm. it's better for you. It's better for the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got a wrap up in mind, but I think maybe we should, uh, does anybody have anything else they'd like to say before we go? I know it's kind of a heavy topic to kind of be ending on, but maybe open the floor to whatever you want to say, Stuart. Looks like you're ready. Uh, well, I will just say at the end that I'm <clears throat> really uh, not a fan of the uh, Columbus SC rebrand oh. that happened. Yeah. But um, glad you brought it up. No, <laughs> no. Uh, someone mentioned rebrand earlier. I believe that was Matt, and uh, <laughs> it just uh, triggered me. But no, it's uh, it was it was bad, um, and it continues the string of pretty bad rebranding that luckily I think I'm I've grown fond of of cities uh branding so I'm happy with that but uh man some uh Nordecki uh Twitter account said that you know the Haslams have bad taste um with uh stuff because they redesigned the Browns uniforms a few years ago to something really horrendous but I thought it was also kind of a self burn to say the team that bought and saved you has bad taste you know that's uh I mean you know anything in Columbus is pretty bad taste but you know raw emotion a lot of raw words coming out of Columbus right now yeah uh, so all that work to keep the club in Columbus and then, especially after a championship season, Columbus is the reigning champ. Uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense. And it was one of the first clubs in MLS. Uh, I actually, the log, their logo is pretty decent. So I don't know what this ownership group is the old looking logo, for. The, the one that well, from 2014. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. the yeah. first one. <laughs> yeah. And even this one is fine too, uh, compared to the one they came up with. Well, I, so I think the fact that they won the championship last year, the MLS Cup champs, should have put a pause in this whole thing. Because I, I would bet that this is the Haslam's or the Edwards or whoever it was putting their stamp on the club. And they bought the club at what, end of 2019, I think it was, after the 2019 season. Um, so this, if, if they started this back then, then it's been in the works since well before they won MLS Cup. It was a terrible decision to move forward with it, if, if even if they had been planning on it after they won the cup. And the it's been misstep after misstep, as we've understood. The fact that they didn't include their supporters, they made them sign NDAs when they told them about it. It's just one debacle after another, and it makes the fire look so much better in retrospect looking at their rebranding. At least they realized their mistake and then came back and said, okay, we're going to fix it. Well, yeah, also, how much of this is the supply chain like disruption from the pandemic that knocked this back from like was this originally planned to happen you know the end of last season and it got moved back yeah i i'm sure the haslams are looking at the the blowback and thinking we have millions of dollars of merchandise on cargo vessels heading across the pacific right now like no we're not changing this this is it's an 18 month lead time to to do this stuff but the the correct time for the front office to talk to fans and get feedback was 2019 when they took over and not right now i mean this is just kind of silly and they know fans can organize because they have a whole campaign that they organize to, you know, save the team. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And it, for Columbus, better or worse, they are letting, going to be letting fans into the stands at the right time for some sort of demonstrations if they want to. Demonstrations, walkouts. I mean, I think the Nordecki was already doing that when word leaked last weekend. So I don't know when their next home game is. It might be next weekend, but. It will be destination viewing to see what they do in the stands. Uh, the, the part that just is like absolutely baffling to me, and maybe it's because we've been so spoiled, but like St. Louis FC would never do anything without consulting a large amount of people, right? About what do you think about this? We're going to do this. And, uh, you know, they would listen to those people and maybe change their minds. Um, 
the fact that they combined asking a very small group what they thought that seemed almost like compulsory, like they felt like they had to ask them. But okay, we're gonna ask you, but signed this uh, NDA. Unbelievable. I mean, those combinations, it's just like, oh, it, it hurt me to hear about it. And I can't believe anyone is dumb enough to do something like that. Well, there's a there was a fantastic article in, in The Athletic. Sam Stasekel wrote it. So good. Where they interviewed the, and I, I think his name's Ethan, uh, but they interviewed the creative director of, of the supporters, the guy who's responsible for all their TIFO. And he quit over this. I mean, they, they've not just alienated their supporters, they alienated the guy who was one of the, the top Save the Crew guys, one of the guys who has been doing everything in the, stay, in the stands that, that drives the culture, that really sets the, the tone for everything. And, and they, they jaded him, they, they drove him out. I mean, that's, it's the exact opposite of everything we want about soccer in this country. And in the city. Yeah. Yeah. It- so the, it's just, I think it's a testament, like yet another thing the city gets right, right? Like they didn't just ask like one group of people what they thought about the logo and about all these other things. They were asking a lot of different people. And I think we heard there were a lot of rumors about like um, the colors, about the logo, a lot of rumors about, oh, the name, the branding, I think is what people most freaked out about in St. Louis is like, please don't make it United. Please don't make it blah, blah, blah. Like well, there were like 10 things that everyone didn't want it to be. And they ended up okay, right? <laughs> well, I mean, re- really they quickly. Asked everybody, right? Well, I was going to say, remembering <laughs> back to right before they announced it, they had that online um, like feedback thing where you, yeah. you put, what do you want the name to be? What do you want some icons to be? What do you want some symbols to be? And we know that they use that data because they had their short list of what the names and, and icons were going to be and what the kind of the iconography and the graphics were going to look like. So they took feedback, they worked with, and I, and they even said early on that they worked with local artists in the area. Mm. So they had local input, they had soccer fan input, they had their short list, they took fan feedback, even when they created a brand new logo. So that was, and that's another big difference is creating a logo from scratch versus altering one or rebranding one that has passionate followers. I mean, so much tradition. It's crazy. Maybe more tradition than most, if not all, MLS clubs. That's hard. Stuart, I'm glad you brought it up. That was a fun rabbit trail. Matt, do you have another closing statement? Uh, Santiago, no? No, I think I'm good. Okay. <laughs> then I will just close with, uh, I listened to a podcast today, and uh, it was uh, Dave Chappelle talking about his life, and he was like, uh, "There's if you do something for money, that there won't be happiness in it. You, you go find something you enjoy and you do it. You go after it. It doesn't always work out for everybody, but I do feel like there's this vibe about this club in St. Louis that it's not about the money. It's about how can we do this right? And so, so far that's their aim. It's not been perfect, but it's their aim. And it, it feels like uh, it's, it's kind of a pure thing. And it could get ruined at times because capitalism is part of MLS. Capitalism is part of St. Louis City SC for sure. And it'll get ruined from time to time. But for the most part, these guys have a really great aim. And uh, Lutz himself, I think, has been uh, steering it in a good direction. So I want to end on a good note. Uh, We got to hear a lot of craziness, uh, a little bit of negativity from time to time. But I do think most of our podcast was positive. We're really excited for St. Louis soccer, whether it be St. Louis FC uh, U23s, St. Louis City getting their academy going in October. The Scott Gallagher Academy um, has already played a few ga- a few games, and uh, that's going to be coming up. More U19 games here at Soccer Park uh, in the next month. So a lot to watch, a lot to get excited for. The women's game, which I have not gone gotten into enough uh, for sure, is going to be three different teams in St. Louis. So uh, hopefully we'll get into that next week uh, as we meet back here at Soccer Park for hopefully a U23 game on the 18th or 20th. We'll do another on-site location uh, recording. Hopefully it won't be as dark as right now. <laughs> we didn't it's, mention it, but the lights have been off since the beginning of this podcast. It's a little warmer. It's kind of cool to be at Soccer Park at night. <laughs> Santiago spent too much time in uh, Puerto Rico, and uh, he's back in St. Louis, and this is way too cold for you, right? I'm freezing, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it's Flyover Footy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.